It's Christmas time. The signs are everywhere. Candy canes, advent candles, and stockings stuffed with toys. And for many of you, Christmas Day might even be white. But Christmas wouldn't be Christmas without remembering Bethlehem, where Mary and Joseph first swaddled the baby Jesus, and where wise men from the east followed his star. Let's remember that day so long ago when Joseph and Mary looked into the face of God in the little town of Bethlehem. Welcome to the Shalom Y'all Ministries Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adam Keim, along with my good friend, Dr. Daniel McCabe. Daniel, do you have all of your Christmas shopping done? Oh, not even close. I know in the McCabe house, I'm responsible for buying gifts for the boys, at least stocking stuff for gifts for the boys, and I haven't even started. Every year I say I'm going to buy them early and get a jump on things, and I just don't. But, But I do have two gifts that I've bought already. Yeah. I have bought your gift and Whoa. Richard's gift, who is our treasure, and they are in the mail, and you should be getting them about tomorrow, it says, or maybe the next day. So Merry Christmas to you. Well, that's a nice surprise. Thanks. In my book, if you have purchased a gift for me, then your shopping is done. Okay. Then, then I'm done. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> we here at Shalom, y'all, know that a walk through the land deepens your walk with the Lord. Our mission is to teach and encourage those who love the Bible, the land of the Bible, and the people of the land. We also lead educational tours to Israel that forever change the way you read your Bible and worship the Lord. Reach out to us for more information on how your group can experience the land of Israel firsthand. If you've been listening to our podcast thus far, receive our weekly Saturday email or follow us on Facebook at Shalom Y'all Ministries, then you know that we really love Bible history and geography. In fact, the second letter H in our ministry acronym Shalom stands for history and geography. Now, Adam, you're particularly knowledgeable on the geography of the land of Israel, and I think you taught some geography classes on the seminary level. Is that right? Yep, sure have. They were among my favorite to teach. Yeah, so when you write, if I'm honest, I pay close attention to what you uh, put down on paper whenever you touch on the topic of geography, for sure. And our listeners, you can catch up on uh, Adam's geography posts or things either one of us have written on the ancient and the modern history of Israel as well on the archives page of our website at shalomyallministries.org. There's a lot there, including even some geography quizzes. So take a look. Every episode of the podcast, we cover topics that jump out to us from the world of biblical archaeology, history, geography, or just something intriguing from the scriptures. Daniel, what do you have to lead off for us today? Well, I think it's a fun one. You know, we have three boys here at the house, ranging from ages 8 to 17. I 17? Even, yeah, I know. I, I can't <laughs> even imagine that my oldest is 17. What What's the ages of your girls, Adam? I know you have three girls still at home. We have 13. I have eight, and then I have almost seven. Okay, so I have two teenagers, and then one who's eight, and you have the the one teenager. But so we're busy. All both of us stay oh, pretty yes. busy, I imagine. <laughs> yep. Well, I know that you and John are like all parents. You have to decide what to teach your girls about Santa Claus, and that's yeah. a big thing. In our house, we've always told our boys that Santa is a game that we play, and that seems to work for us. 
But whatever position you take on Santa, kids worldwide know that name for sure. Now, Santa goes by other names as well. Do you know any of the other names of Santa, Adam? Uh, I could probably think of a few off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's a couple I'd be missing. Okay, well, you probably are familiar. The first one that came to mind for me was Jolly Old Saint Nick. Yep. And then there's Chris Kringle. Yep. Then Father Christmas. Yep, know that one. Okay, and then I've heard of one, too, that's not quite as common, but sometimes he's called Grandfather Frost in some parts of the Ah, world. Okay. Yeah. Well, legend and real life can get a little jumbled, but maybe you didn't know that they have recently found the tomb of Santa Claus. Well, technically the tomb of St. Nick, and there is a difference, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? So they were performing a routine building survey last October, and a team of workers at St. Nicholas Church in Demry, Turkey, uncovered a tomb beneath the mosaic floor of the church that they believe belonged to St. Nicholas himself, who lived and served there as bishop in the early 4th century AD. There's no evidence that he wore a red and white suit, had toy-making sidekicks, or a belly that shook when he laughed but he did have a reputation for distributing gifts to the poor and needy that over time gave rise to the legend of Santa Claus. There is no report yet that's come across the news wires of any reindeer remains under the church, (laughs) but they're still excavating and I will have to keep you posted on that when it comes across. (laughs) We'll be waiting for that. report. All right. Okay. (laughs) But Daniel, you know that I love the Christmas season. It is Far and away my favorite holiday. I love just about everything about it. Uh, But especially I love looking not only back on Jesus in the manger, but also forward to his return. Now, we might often think of Christmas as just a celebration of Jesus's birth, but it is an enjoyment of the concept itself of Emmanuel, God with us, God being with his people, coming to visit his people. So to me, Revelation 19, the chapter that describes Jesus coming back in power, is just as much a Christmas passage as the first chapters of Matthew and Luke. A Christmas that looks forward is actually modeled quite beautifully by Isaac Watts's classic Christmas carol, the familiar Joy to the World, written in 1719. So let's consider the lyrics. I won't sing them for you. I'll save our listeners' ears today. Um... But the lyrics are as follows. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Now, do these familiar words describe the world as we see it today? Uh, I'm going to go with probably not. Yeah, not really. In fact, Isaac Watts wrote them 
about Jesus's second coming, and they find their fulfillment when he returns and officially inaugurates the kingdom of God on earth. Yes. So I encourage our listeners that when they celebrate Christmas, they continue to praise God for what he has done in the past and also what he will accomplish in the future. So Daniel, what is this week's trivia question? I always look forward to these. Yeah, well, um, before I answer the trivia question, I, I wanted to kind of reflect back on one of my favorite hymns. You mentioned Emmanuel earlier, and it says Emmanuel means God with us. I've always loved the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Just, you have identified my favorite one. Well, there you go. Then, then, then we're, we're right on par. That's another reason why we're probably good friends because oh, we yes. like the same Christmas carols. But So do you remember what you got for Christmas last year, Adam? Uh-oh, you're putting me on the spot. I think I'm thinking of one thing in particular that I did get that I appreciated, but uh, it strains my memory to, to probably think of more of them. Well, let's hope that that one thing that you remembered was the gift you got from your wife. Oh, we'll assume it is. Anything okay, that my wife right. gives me, I love, cherish, and remember forever. Okay. Well, we may have forgotten what we got last year, and <laughs> it doesn't sometimes take very long to do that, but most of us probably remember what the wise men brought Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Three gifts. What are they, Adam? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay, good. And so we're going to look at the second one as part of our trivia question today. Frankincense is a gum or resin that is extracted from a tree. But what tree is it? Is it the Boswellia tree, the juniper tree, or the gall oak tree? We'll have the answer for you later in our podcast. A star in the east, wise men coming. What was it that the Magi saw that drew them to the newborn king? Let's find out. The Bible says that the Magi made their way to Bethlehem by following a star that first appeared to them in the east. So what about this star? What about a star made the Magi think to look for a new king in Israel in the first place? Who were the wise men? who arrived at Bethlehem that first Christmas night. Tradition has numbered and named them. There's Melchior, a king of Persia, Gaspar, a king of India, and Balthazar, a king of Arabia. But actually, there's nothing in the Bible to suggest their names or their numbers. We simply don't know. We only know that they traveled from the East. Hmm. Now, in the first century, a certain... Magi were a priestly class of experts, and some studied the natural sciences, or they studied medicine, philosophy, the interpretation of dreams, and even astrology, and they were typically associated with the area that we know today as Iraq and Iran, probably the area in Bible days of the Parthian Empire, and maybe around the area of even Babylon, Well, they carefully observed the stars. Adam, I remember you showed me an app on your phone one time that you could look up in the stars and it can tell you what the constellations are. Remember that? Yep. My girls love it. And recently, several weeks ago now, when all the the planets aligned, I took that app and I looked up. I I 
in the sky, I could see about four or five planets. Do you remember right. that when they when they all aligned Jupiter, Mars, and Venus? Well, I opened the app, and there were more than just that aligned. You, could, I, I swept across the sky and saw in a line. Uh, I think pretty much all of them with the moon, except for maybe one of them. It, it was it was pretty neat to look at. Wow, amazing. Well, the Magi did the same thing without your app, but they they carefully <laughs> observed the stars and other heavenly bodies. And they believe that their arrangement, their movement, and their appearance signified key events, sometimes good and sometimes bad. Well, one particular star, which Matthew 2, 2 is described as his star, signified to them in some way the birth of a Jewish king. Now, perhaps they were familiar with the prophecy of Daniel 9.25, which specifically connected the coming Jewish Messiah with the city of Jerusalem and prompting their long journey west, according to Matthew 2.1. Or perhaps they knew that Balaam had made a prophecy in Numbers 24.17 that used royal language and it said, quote, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, end quote. Well, not being aware of the minor prophecy of Micah 5.2, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, or perhaps having assumed that the newborn Messiah would have already been accepted in the Royal Society of Jerusalem, it would certainly be reasonable for them to search for him first in Jerusalem. Which is why they encountered Herod, right? Yeah, that's obviously where they met him. And well, that's a story in and of itself and his connection to Rome and the Parthian Empire and why there would be tensions and Jerusalem would always would be upset or kind of stirred because of the, the presence of the Magi. But my question here I really want to address in more detail is that, is there any scientific explanation for the appearance of the star that they followed that will remain true to the biblical story? Does it connect somehow with some natural phenomenon? The word for star in Matthew 2.2 can also be translated as planet or perhaps even meteor, nova, or comet. So, could any of these natural occurrences be correlated to the birth of Jesus? That's the question. And let's look at that. Now, meteors display a lot of light, but they last only a few seconds due to the friction of the Earth's atmosphere. So probably not meteors. Comets were typically seen as omens of evil in ancient society, marking the death rather than the birth of a king, for example. And we know that Roman and Chinese sources did report a sighting of Halley's Comet from August to October in 12 BC. Does your app tell people about like Halley's Comet and things like that? I haven't searched that. There might be paid versions or whatnot, but not that I know of. Yeah, I wonder when the next appearance is. I haven't looked that up, but that would be fascinating. Probably not in our lifetime. But but their sighting in 12 BC was too far, it really is too far removed from the death of King Herod, which... Most researchers date to around March of 4 BC, and no other known comets have been observed in the general time frame of Jesus' birth, so no comets line up. The Chinese observed a supernova, which is an exploding star in the constellation of Capricorn in 5 BC. However, novas don't move across the sky. So that's questionable. They, they remain stationary in relation to the fixed stars. And so this doesn't seem to square with the observed movement of the star of Bethlehem either, which in Matthew 2.9 says it describes it as moving. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but in May, October, and December of 7 BC, a rare triple conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn occurred within the Pisces constellation that many have, have pointed to as uh, its, its connection with the star of Bethlehem. In fact, in 1604, the well-known astronomer Johannes Kepler, I bet you studied Kepler in school. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, Johannes Kepler argued that this first conjunction was the star of Bethlehem. But the problem with that is that Jupiter and Saturn didn't come close enough in May, in May to be seen as one star. They, they remained too far apart, like one degree, and so they wouldn't have lined up in a way that would have looked like a star. Undaunted, others have proposed that Jupiter and Saturn's second conjunction prompted the Magi to head out on their three-week, 750-mile journey if, in fact, they came from Babylon, and that the third conjunction marked its reappearance in Jerusalem to the Magi. That's where Herod comes in. Hmm. But having reappeared, the Bible notes that the star, quote, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was, end quote. That's Matthew 2, 9. So it moved seven miles due south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem and stopped. Hmm. But that doesn't match the movement of planets because they don't move north to south in the sky. They move instead east to west due to the Earth's rotation. So in short, Adam, I, there's no satisfactory scientific explanation that I know of for the appearance of the star that conforms to Scripture and so I'm left to conclude that the star of Bethlehem was a supernatural star marking the birth of our great Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. And this was before satellite technology, right? This wasn't some Musk satellite that was moving around in the sky? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but you can check that on your app. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll all right. consult the app. It'll let us know. Now, regardless of what the star was exactly, and thank you for that explanation, Daniel. Sure. It just... A supernatural, miraculous event that that God had orchestrated to point them to the Savior is, is really, <laughs> well, it's how God operates, isn't it? Yes. Uh, regardless of what it was exactly, we are thankful that the Magi did follow it to behold the newborn king. Just can't imagine, you know, what that must have been like. Oh, what a day, what a sight to behold it must mm -hmm. have been for them. Now, let me suggest a little twist on the traditional understanding of the inn in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Okay. Now, admittedly, though, there are a great many Bible teachers who hold this traditional view. So let me explain. As, as tradition goes, you know, Mary and Joseph, they ride into Bethlehem late at night looking for a place to stay. They find a local inn only to be told by the, you know, perhaps gruff, careless innkeeper, sorry, no room in the inn for you. Go back out to the stables. Well, the traditional story is just that. It's tradition. Now, you can sing that word in your best Raftavia singing voice, and again, I will spare you. All right. <laughs> but if you read again the Nativity narrative in Luke's Gospel, you will find that there is no mention of an innkeeper. But not only was there no innkeeper mentioned, neither was there an inn, at least how we understand them today. In our minds, we often think of like an ancient hotel in Bethlehem, with many rooms occupied that left no vacancy that first Christmas. 
However, the Greek word used in Luke 2.7 is best translated not as in, but as a guest room or upper room. Some English versions do use that, guest room. And that is how the word kataluma was translated in the other places it's used in the New Testament in Mark 14.14 14 and Luke 22.11, where Jesus ate the last supper with his disciples in a kataluma, in an upper room. Another Greek word that is somewhat related is found only in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. In verse 34 in that chapter, we see the word pandacheon to describe where the Samaritan brought the beaten man. The route from Jerusalem down to Jericho was traveled often. It was indeed dangerous. And there was likely a, a caravansary of sorts along the way to accommodate travelers. The caravansary had an attendant, a pandacheus, like we see in verse 35, whom the good Samaritan paid to take care of his neighbor. Now that would be the closest thing to an inn or a hotel of sorts that we have in the New Testament. And that word pandacheon only appears in the parable of the good Samaritan. So what do we have going on in Bethlehem? A small town like that would not likely even have a hotel anyway. But Joseph... Jesus' earthly dad, being a just man, as the Bible describes him, and, frankly, Daniel, in my opinion, one of the most underrated heroes in all of Scripture. Yeah, and I, I've always heard that Joseph in the New Testament and Joseph in the Old Testament were, I, I think, either two of or the only two major characters in Scripture of which it doesn't really show any faults or sin whatsoever. Yeah, nothing is identified about them that they really did anything right. Now, they weren't sinless, of course, we know, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of Of God. But yes, both Josephs, nothing bad is written about them. The closest you can come to the Old Testament Joseph is some have thought maybe he wasn't so wise to reveal his dream to his brothers. But even in that case, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't sin in that. But anyway, um, Joseph is one of my favorite, quote unquote, underrated heroes in Scripture. So he kept Mary as his wife. At the angel's urging, you know, when everybody else assumed that she was sinful, and he brought her to his hometown to be counted in the census. Now, when they reached Bethlehem, Joseph, you know, perhaps looked for housing from a friend or an extended family member, but was turned away due to the scandal of Mary as people saw it. Remember, only Mary and Joseph knew of the miraculous conception in her. Right. So the Greek phrase in Luke 2, 7 reads that Jesus was laid in a manger because there was not a place for them in the guest room. That's what the Greek phrase reads. Or the guest room was no place for them. Which means the homeowner could not bring himself to host a man who had taken an unfaithful woman as his wife with a baby conceived out of wedlock. That would be an enormous social faux pas back then. And even that's an understatement of how bad that would have been. That's just one of many trials that Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, was willing to endure in order to do the right thing. Truly a great example to us all. Well, time to reveal the answer to our trivia question, Adam. Earlier, you asked, from what tree is frankincense extracted? And I offer three possibilities. There's the Boswellia tree, the juniper tree, and the gall 
oak tree? The answer is the Boswellia tree, which is named for the eminent Scottish botanist John Boswell. Did you, Adam, did you get that one right? I did not. I have to admit, that's new to me. I, I was guessing the gall oak tree. All right. Well, maybe most of our visit or listeners did get it right. Well, hopefully they did. We got a smart audience. I'm sure yes, several did. of them probably knew that one. Thank you so much for joining us on the Shalom Y'all Ministries podcast. We hope you enjoyed this brief look into the first Christmas. In the hustle and bustle of the season, remember always that God sent his son to accomplish for us what we could never do on our own, salvation from sin. From a babe in the manger to the suffering servant on the cross and to the conquering king when he returns. Shalom, y'all. Shalom, y'all. Thank you.